Hello and welcome to the How You Say It podcast with myself, Graham Colgower. I'd just like to say a very quick thank you to everybody who's liked, shared and followed, uh, followed what I'm doing over the last few weeks. It's been fantastic to see so many people engaging with the podcast and getting some really, really great feedback. And, and I just really appreciate it. This is the fifth episode that I'm putting out and there's plenty more to come. And I'm really, really hoping that people who are listening are taking some insights away from some of the fantastic guests that I've been able to interview. And without people listening and without people liking and sharing it, I wouldn't be able to carry on doing what I'm doing. So a big, big thank you to everybody who's tuning in and listening. And this week, I've got a fantastic and really, really exciting interview with Stephen Lawler. I've known Stephen as a friend through our endeavours of supporting our local football team, Wraith Rovers, and we've worked together on plenty of projects which involve communication with supporters groups. But Stephen is actually a communications professional, so I thought it'd be a good idea to get a communications professional on the show. His work in politics is what Stephen has uh, has done a lot of, and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot. He's got his own company, Red Circle Communications, which specialise in organising focus groups, and that's what we speak about. Stephen started by working in politics in Scotland around about the time when uh, the Scottish Parliament had just formed, which was a largely crunch, controversial project, and uh, it's it, it was over budget, it ran over time, and Stephen's job working in communications for the Scottish Labour Party at the time was to go into focus groups with Labour voters, non-Labour voters, and try and find out how they're feeling and test campaign ads and, and test messages that they felt there was needed to go out to the to the people and the public. And uh, that's a fantastic, fascinating insight into how these focus groups are actually run. Stephen was eventually became uh, head of the Scottish, head of communication, sorry, of the Scottish Labour Party for some time. And then he began uh, to set up his own company and in his own business now, he works over in Northern Ireland doing very similar things in what is an extremely polarised political environment. And getting the insights from Stephen on how these focus groups run, the importance of focus groups is is really, really valuable. And I find that this this episode will be hugely valuable to, for people to understand who you're communicating with before you start to communicate with them. Yeah, you're looking at how you can create influence. You're, we're looking at challenges when you're working in politics. I'm sure many of us will know over the last four or five years and, and seen firsthand some of the 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 ways that people have been communicated to through poster advertising, through political messaging, through all the different political groups, particularly over this COVID period and, and subsequently after it through everything that's been going on. So it, it, listening through focus groups is so valuable. And I think Stephen talks about that through politics, but then we we'll reach on to that and just in general, how can we listen better to fully understand exactly how we can bring a message together that we can we can put out to people that will be successful, create that influence and and you know, understand that what tone to use and how powerful the language that we use when putting together our message. This has been, it was it was really, really enjoyable speaking to Stephen and hearing his experiences and, and gaining some really, really valuable insight from him. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And as I said before, keep liking, keep sharing, keep listening and, and, and feedback. We need to hear your feedback. What do you want to hear? How, what do you, what do you want me to ask? What questions do you want to hear me ask? And who do you want to see me interview? And I'd love to get that feedback from you. So this is Stephen Lawther on the How You Say It podcast. I'm joined with a good friend of mine, Stephen Lawther. Stephen, how are you? 
I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, Stephen uh, has his own company, Red Circle Communications, and uh, for a podcast that's around communication, I think it's a good idea to have a communications professional, <laughs> which is which is what you are, Stephen, isn't it? Yeah, it's maybe overstating it, but yeah, we've got experience in communications. Brilliant, brilliant. So, Stephen, you've got a wide experience in communication, and uh, yeah, so you've got your own company, but you've also worked in particular predominantly politics when you yeah. still sort of keep your eye in with that as well so i thought it'd be a really really good idea to to catch up with yourself and just talk about it so first things first how did you get into doing what you do yeah so i uh, i kind of came out of university and uh, just kind of by chance ending up in a job uh, at a place called it's now called the institute for social marketing but at the time it was called the center for social marketing it was at strathclyde university mm-hmm. it's now moved to sterling university but basically that was a kind of research unit that did focus groups and did surveys, uh, kind of testing kind of the old Health Education Board for Scotland, okay. all the kind of anti-drugs advertising, sexual health, alcohol, all, all smoking, all, all that sort of thing. So got into it that way um, where I was kind of learning the job, doing focus groups, understanding kind of advertising communication and uh, I guess I'd always had an interest in politics through through my kind of younger years. So obviously when kind of I, I got that experience, I kind of realised there's actually, I kind of, I'd love to do this in politics mm-hmm. and do focus groups, uh, which obviously became a kind of thing at the time through kind of Labour uh, under kind of Neil Kinnock and then particularly with Tony Blair. So yeah, so I ended up kind of, did a couple of other uh, research roles in, in kind of Visit Scotland, Sports Scotland, and then it was a time in Scotland when the Scottish Parliament was being set up mm. and I guess there was a kind of an opening there for someone in Scotland kind of doing focus groups, doing polling, uh, understanding public opinion and then actually kind of helping the party kind of get their message together, do their advertising uh, and I guess kind of put put the kind of trying to influence people, I guess, in terms of voting Labour yeah. Labour at that time. And for I mean for me that was that was a it was a huge interest personal interest in mine but it was also a great environment to be in because it was interesting really fast paced it was a kind of big turnaround on things yeah. you know you did research and it really mattered you kind of things moved and, and right. people listened to it uh, and it was also quite high pressure which you know is challenging in one way but also hugely kind of rewarding in a kind of work sense of wow. of working in that kind of environment so I mean focus groups then let's let's look at them I mean. How important are focus groups at the moment uh, and beforehand as well in politics and just in in general even to try and gain an understanding of the people that you're wanting to communicate to? Yeah, I mean, they're they're hugely important. And I think, uh, you know, at the time of around kind of just before, I guess, kind of new new Labour, they were were kind of not used a lot and people viewed them with a bit of suspicion of it's kind of, you know, we're a political party, we know what we're about, we've got our policies, why why would we speak to people? But actually, and you know, and people still have a slightly kind of suspicious view of them. Mm. But no, they're hugely important in just understanding kind of where people are at. And I think, you know, that's important in any kind of, uh, even in a commercial setting or whatever you're doing is understanding kind of where your customers are. For political parties, they're hugely important in understanding kind of where the voters are. Because I think that's got to be your starting point of your kind of message. So yeah. you've got to know what they think of you, what they think of the opposition, what they think about the kind of uh, the issues are. And if you don't understand that, then there's a real kind of chance you can kind of get the tone wrong or get the message wrong or, you know, not not put your case forward in the best possible scenario. So, yeah, get, getting 
the ordinary voice of people is hugely important. Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, it would be very easy to stick all the people that you know are going to say nice things about you in the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> say loads of really nice things. So was that a challenge as well when you're dealing with politicians and political groups? Because, you know, they'll have an idea of what they think people should be thinking about them. Yeah, and a, and a number of times we would have conversations where, you know, we would do groups and it would be saying something and the politicians were, no, well, wait a minute, I go around, you know, and kind of meet people and they're telling me something different. Um, but, I mean, it's really about that kind of ordinary person's voice who isn't interested in politics, doesn't really care about politics in many instances, and is just kind of getting on with their life. And I think, you know, the difficulty, I think, for politicians still to this day is it's a kind of rarefied atmosphere. You're, you're, you associate with other politicians, you associate with people who are political, you associate with journalists, so you can be kind of become in a bit of a bubble of yeah. this is what people think. I mean, a, a good example was there was a, a kind of issue with kind of Israel-Palestine was going on once, and we did groups, and obviously most people, important issue, but most people doesn't touch on their lives. They're kind of more interested in what's going on in the kind of day-to-day. -day. So I came back and said, look, here's what the voters are saying to a group of MSPs, and one of the MSPs was like, you know, that that's can't be. I've got I've had like six hundred letters on this Israel Palestine. I can't believe it wasn't even mentioned. But you have interest group who are approaching politicians. You have people who have a kind of agenda, and I think that kind of focus groups are a kind of reality check of actually this is what people who aren't thinking about politics, who aren't particularly engaged, actually this is what their kind of perceptions are, and they are the bulk of yeah. of the of the electorate. The bulk of society. Well, know. I mean, how hard is it to actually get a focus group together then? Yeah, it's, 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 it's in one sense, it's, it's relatively straightforward because obviously it's a kind of, you know, even commercial companies will, will use focus groups. So there's a kind of network of people who will do this for you and get groups together. The challenging thing, I think, in politics is kind of getting people not coming in with preconceived ideas. So you kind of have to... Uh, you know, you don't want people coming in thinking, oh, this is for the Labour Party or this is for the SNP because then right. they'll have a kind of set agenda. Um, but it's also kind of trying to get to uh, that kind of person who is, you know, the people who are political, I've always voted Labour, I've always voted SNP. And then there's that bunch in the middle, is the kind of hardest bit to reach, who actually are open to being persuaded or are open to kind of changing their vote or, 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 or thinking in a different way. So... It's finding them, and that can sometimes be challenging. But again, there's kind of standard market research kind of procedures to kind of ask questions yeah. that before you get people along to group, so you get the right people in the room. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, these focus groups are not about convincing these people. They're about finding out what their thoughts are, which then you can take that data, pass it back to the political groups and parties who can then form their campaigns to target those people based on what they've explained. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about changing. I mean, often they would not They would leave not even knowing who it was for. Right. You would kind of present it in a certain way, because obviously, if, particularly if you're in an election, you kind of don't want someone going out going, oh, I was at a thing for the Labour Party and this is what they were asking me. So, yeah, no, it's it was absolutely about kind of twofold, I think, understanding kind of where they are, understanding what the kind of lay of the land is. And then I guess beyond that is then thinking about your own message. So you would, you would kind of get the kind of where people are at uh, and then you would move into kind of, well, let's put messages together and then you would, or, or advertising, whatever it happened to be, uh, or creative work and then you would put that in front of people and then mm. you can kind of get a sense of is this working is it shifting the dial in any sense are there issues with it is the you know you know a lot of it was kind of testing where the line was and kind of what you were saying was it resonating was it over the line and, and you know and then like kind of 
tips into that lack and credibility. So it's more it's, it's more about kind of just refining your message. How best can you say yeah. that says this has got somebody to a territory where they think actually this is the kind of best party for me to vote for? Wow. I mean, when you when you go back to your beginnings then, what was it about this that really attracted you to going down this route? What was it that you thought, oh, I really, really like that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I'd obviously, I'd been doing focus groups for an, a number of years. I'd, as I said, did them in kind of health campaigns and, sm- and you know, anti-smoking campaigns, anti-alcohol, all that sort of stuff. So I'd kind of got the kind of experience of it, seen how they can be kind of, you know, how, how interesting it can be and how kind of influential they can be. And as I said, just had a personal interest in politics uh, and it, you know, was a chance to work in an environment that kind of mattered to me. And I mm. think part of, you know, people who work for political parties, particularly that kind of stage of your career, you know, it's a cause. It's, it's not less of a job and a kind of cause and not just me, but all other people around about me were in the kind of, we're in it together. It was a really kind of positive working environment. I don't think that was particularly just a uniquely Labour. I think it'll probably be the same whatever party you work for. Um, and as I said, it's also, you know, you're working with politicians, which has its downsides, but, you know, <laughs> you are working in something that feels as if it matters and yeah. has an influence. And, you know, sometimes as a kind of third party researcher, you could be doing research and you produce your report and, you know, you've no control over what happens to that. It can sit on a shelf or nothing can happen with it. As I said, this was you know, it was listened to. I mean, one of the one of the kind of uh, crazy kind of few or four days that came to mind in one of the elections was, you know, the Friday night we had groups set up. The Friday afternoon I went to the advertising agency and they kind of had produced, here's all our creatives. So we had all the kind of potential adverts, took them into the groups Friday night, you know, listened to what people said, wrote that up. Saturday morning went and was presenting it to the kind of first minister at the time who was Jack McConnell in his constituency talked through which what we were going to go and why and then you know some of those posters were kind of up on a billboard like by the Wednesday of the next wow. week so it's just that kind of hugely fast-paced turnaround you know which does bring pressures but it's also hugely rewarding to think oh, I tested that and now I'm kind of driving past it wow yeah on the, on the way to work how, how difficult when you're dealing with these, you mentioned about working with politicians and obviously as we've said you know politicians will have a, a, a perception of how they're viewed based on what they're told uh, and then you're having to go and tell somebody look the way that you're campaigning this is not what people want to hear this is what we suggest that you you change or, or you you know this is how you present it yeah I mean how I can imagine that some of the <laughs> some of the egos and some of the people that are working in politics are not going to go, okay, Stephen, that's fine. I'll take that on board and I'll completely change. They'll be going, hang on a second. I've been doing this for years. I know what I'm doing, son. Sort of thing. Is that a challenge that you came across quite a lot? Yeah, it's it's a huge challenge. And uh, what does it say? You've got the scars on the back from the kind of <laughs> the arguments <laughs> you went through with things. Yeah, it's it's hard. And I think you know the difficulty is, as I said, politicians kind of live in this kind of rarefied atmosphere. They've obviously got a, a kind of position in their kind of political career so you know that leads people to think that I kind of know what I'm doing here I think also you know at a particular time I worked in politics had been very tribal I mean it's kind of going back to that yeah. now but uh, you know as politics is by nature very tribal and there's a lot of kind of we're great they're, they're bad there's a lot of this is how we've always done it you know so if you're trying to do something different or trying to kind of take a different approach or actually you go into a focus group and you realize saying they're rubbish, we're great, is not going to cut it. 
then there can be there can be resistance to that kind of message. And particularly kind of if you're trying a different route or trying something different that is not what they normally do, uh, again, there can be real challenges with that. So got numerous examples of kind of meetings you would sit in, kind of you'd done the research, you had that behind it. So uh, the, the thing I always thought, it was never my view, it was kind of what the voters yeah. were saying. So it was not as if I was saying, I'm right, I'm saying this is what the voters think, this is what the research has shown. But even then, there can be, a, it can be real resistance, you have to kind of fight and battle. And some of them, uh, I didn't win either. Yeah, I mean, saying. that must be really hard. If, you, if you're if you sitting there in a room with people that are saying, like, oh, this is, this, and you know, yeah. this is the direction that we should, you know, this is what these people are asking for i mean that must be to, to be able to have to sit there and go i, I mean I, without naming names or anything like that but i mean were there on a percentage scale how many people would you be working with that would trust the data that you were giving them and how many people would go i mean was it more slipped to, to were people more commonly politicians that you work with were they more commonly to go was it more common to go with what you said or was it harder to get them over was there more people that go like that's interesting but i'm going to carry on doing it my way it's hard, it's hard. It's hard to know what what the figure would be. I mean, I think mo- most of the time people were willing to listen. I think right. I, I wouldn't want to caricature politicians as kind of being belligerent yeah. or not. But yeah. there was a kind of there was a lot of areas where we'd done something and it kind of clearly worked. I mean, an example uh, in the two thousand and three election, it was I think um, there was a kind of real Labour was kind of in a reasonably good position. But there was just a real, the real danger was kind of just people thinking this election is not important. I mean, a Scottish election in those days kind of suffered from that a little bit compared to a general election. So the real danger for us was not so much the opposition, it was more just people, Labour people thinking they've got it in the bag, there's Aye. no point getting out and voting. So what we did, we tested the concept of of the First Minister, Labour First Minister saying, you know, look, this election is really important, you know, writing an open letter, but rather than just saying, Labour's great, like, please vote for Labour, having a kind of line in it that said, you know, look, this is really important you use your vote. I'd rather you voted for someone else than not voted at all. Wow. And, you know, which obviously is not what politicians say. And we took that into the groups. It, it worked amazingly well. You know, it, it did nothing other than make people feel better yeah. about that Labour First Minister for saying that because it was kind of subverting what they expect. He wasn't saying vote for me. Um, and you know the evidence was really clear this works so there's no downside from saying this you know it's not what people expect to hear but the only thing this will do as we've kind of proven through the research is make people feel better about you but we couldn't get that one over the line because a politician didn't well didn't want to use that kind of language and didn't saw that as a kind of step too far so there 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 were ones that that kind of didn't you know people resisted or but so but that they were the they were the, the I guess probably a rare not a rarity but they were the kind of the, definitely a minority occasions yeah. but a lot of the time it was more about we got there in the end but it was like a huge battle to kind of get 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 kind of even fairly straightforward basic stuff agreed it must be quite satisfying to go told you so though <laughs> yeah yeah I mean a, a, another example from that election was we. Uh, Again, the kind of we we were looking at kind of what Labour had done for pensioners, yeah, uh, and and we're a whole different time. But people were very cynical going into that particular election, and very cynical about Labour and about the Scottish Parliament, about what it was achieving. Um, so we came up with this notion of a kind of cartoon that was, you know, it was a kind of pensioner at a bus stop saying, you know, you wait, you wait for ages, and then three come at once, and it was a. Uh, 
free personal care, free bus travel. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was maybe something to do with winter allowance or central heating or something like that. So there's three kind of really positive things that Labour done for pensioners. So we produced this, uh, uh, or we mocked up this kind of cartoon, took it into groups, and again, it worked really well. It was just the language was right, the tone was right. It wasn't saying, we've done this, we're brilliant. It's saying, look, we've made a start. This is kind of evidence of what we've done, which was kind of worked with people. And obviously, there was a kind of warmth about this kind of the, the bus stop reference that everybody gets, you know, waiting on a bus, mm. and also just the kind of warmth of the cartoon. Took that to the politicians and... That was probably one of the hardest battles because <laughs> they just saw it and were like, no, no, we're politics. We don't yeah, do cartoons. Yeah, we're yeah. serious. This is ridiculous. So real, real battle, you know, to get to get it agreed. Finally kind of got signed off, but an absolute kind of struggle. And then it kind of went out. And, you know, so we, I was kind of recovering from this kind of battle of getting this through. And the weekend after it went out, so it went out on a kind of campaigning day, you know, mm -hmm. it was kind of focused for the campaigning. And the Monday after the Saturday when that would have happened, I, I was in the Scottish Parliament and one of our kind of no-nonsense kind of Glaswegian MSPs sort of went, Stephen, that leaflet. And I just thought, oh, here we go, you know, I'm just going to get it in the neck again about that leaflet. He said, I got the box, he said, I opened it up and I thought, what is this, you know? And, I, and then he said... I took it out, gave it to my kind of activists or campaigning team. They were like, what's this? We can't hand this out. He said, we started to hand it out. And he said it was the best reaction we've ever had to any leaflet. He said, we not only we had people reading it, taking it, we had people walking away reading it and then coming back to speak yeah. to us, you know. So it obviously worked in the same way it kind of worked in the groups, but that just resistance to this is something that we don't normally do. We put out leaflets that say, vote Labour with somebody's face on them, we don't put out cartoons. Yeah. But actually that was hugely effective. So when you got that kind of feedback, it was hugely kind of rewarding to know that actually you've made a bit of a difference. Absolutely. There. I mean, you, you, you're, you're talking about working in the Scottish Parliament there. I mean, from from the time that you started working in these smaller fo focus groups about the healthcare and things like that, how quickly was it that you moved into working within politics and what were the kind of bigger projects that you'd worked on? You said about the 2003 gen uh, the gen uh, Scottish election, but what, what other things? Yeah, I mean, I, I essentially did all the kind of the, the polling for the Labour Party, Scottish Labour Party, uh, from kind of 2001 on, onwards. Um, I then left in, in 2007 and kind of set up my own business, still did a little bit of work for Labour, but kind of what branched out a bit. So I've I've done a bit of work over uh, in Northern Ireland. Right. Um, so ended up working for the uh, Office of First Minister, Deputy First Minister, it was called there, which is basically the kind of the, the the two first ministers in Northern Ireland. And obviously they were kind of at a similar point. Storm it was kind of just up and running, had been down, had been up. You know, obviously it's a very unique kind of uh, environment over there. We've had all the Good Friday Agreement stuff in the last few weeks, but. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was a very difficult kind of challenging uh, time there coming out of peace and setting up these new institutions. So it did a lot of work. Again, hugely rewarding, hugely fascinating to kind of to, to do those to do those groups and to kind of get the feedback and look at kind of how to kind of present the kind of message of that and and make it kind of work that worked for both sides as well because it's obviously well i mean it's usually polarized in that environment yeah so. i mean even to the point of we had to uh we had to, we had if if you're doing work over there you we you kind of did groups with both sides separately yeah. and i learned quite quickly that you kind of had to say to people look 
we're all from the unionist side here or we're all from the nationalist republican side here because obviously if you put uh, you know eight people in a room together uh, here it wouldn't matter but over there it's kind of people once you start talking about politics and and government particularly you know people are kind of wary of what they're going mm. to say and obviously those groups have very different views and very different takes on on things but again hugely rewarding to see kind of language and phrases that kind of you tested that kind of worked and mm. kind of why it was working I mean, again, one of the things that, that, that there's a phrase over there was kind of let's keep Northern Ireland moving forward, which was one of a, a whole range of phrases we tested. But that just worked massively well because, you know, people were hugely frustrated. Again, just thought this isn't working. Uh, but obviously Northern Ireland is kind of on a journey. So that kind of phrase worked in the sense it was, A, it suggested you're moving forward, which is a positive. Uh, let's keep is kind of very inclusive. You know, it's yeah. kind of we're all in this together. And it's actually, you know, it's it's. I think most importantly, it's, it's not suggesting that everything's brilliant. It's you know, it's it's recognizing wow. there's challenges here, but actually, this is where we've come from. But we're on a journey to somewhere better. So that type of phrase can work massively in taking someone who's sitting in a group going, they're all a waste of space. They're not doing anything this and that to go. Well, actually, we're on this journey. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So I'll I'll kind of support it and. And kind wow. of be less kind of cynical. So just language like that can can be really kind of effective, and words even can can kind of come down to words that actually just change an opinion or soften an opinion or you know uh, get people to a better place. There's so much I want to unpick. <laughs> that, right, first of all, let's go back to you know even having to create that environment. First of all, you know, I mean, how did you ever notice that at times when you've got a room full of people? How did you have to create the space where those people felt comfortable enough to speak openly? Now, in that situation in Northern Ireland, you might have people from one or other side. Now, if they if they're in a room where they feel they're surrounded by what it would be people who think like them, yeah, and they say something that could contradict what others in the group feel, yeah, could that that I mean that could seriously damage someone? passing their opinion on that couldn't it yeah i mean there's a, there's a kind of general uh, i mean even before you get into the complexities of that there's a general kind of the person who runs a group has got a huge responsibility to kind of set the tone of like this is a safe space mm. there's no kind of rights and wrongs in this it's just about opinion uh, you're there for their opinion so you, you know part of your role as someone who's kind of running a, a moderator running a focus group is you kind of have to get people at ease so they feel just, psycho, just, psychological safety. Yeah, isn't yeah it? exactly. Just in, in terms of anything, even if the subject is kind of uh, fairly benign, you just got to get people comfortable so they feel as if they can talk about it. I mean, I think the benefit for me was I'd kind of been through all the health stuff. So you know, if you've ever sat in a group where we used to do work on HIV/AIDS, you know, if you ever and with fairly young people, so. If you sat in a group with 16 to 18 year old males talking about HIV AIDS and safe sex, that's kind of a hard shift yeah. to get, you know, to get people comfortable to talk about that. So in a sense, the kind of politics was was a little bit easier yeah. than that. But yeah, you have to create a safe space. And I said, one of the things I learned really early on was kind of, you know, you wouldn't have to say in Scotland where you're, with the background you're from, but you would just say, look, we do, we're doing these sessions with kind of people from the unionist community, people from the nationalist community, mm. you're all from whatever community it happened to be with. And then people feel a little bit kind of safer to, to kind of say. And it's, again, it's about giving people the space to be honest because you want people to be honest. But, yeah. but I mean, 
what I find, if you set that tone right and you get it right, you know, people don't go into these things kind of lying or looking to lie. No. Kind of, and if you if you get the questioning right and take them on a journey through through the group, they, you know, you'll get their kind of honest opinion and, and where they're kind of at. Wow. Right then, you know, you've mentioned about that that phrase that you came up with. You've seen it a lot. Uh, people that use these slogans that really grab people. And as you say, sometimes... You don't know whether someone just come out and going, that sounds great, let's yeah. stick that down. But then you've mentioned like the intricacies of even like the language that's selected, the tone that it comes across, yeah. all these kind of things. How much work actually does go in? So when you do see a, a slogan or a, something that somebody's put up, come up with, is it being just a sort of, aye, that sounds great, we should go with that? Or does it actually really go into the work where you're saying, what kind of words can we use? What kind of tone needs to be used for this particular, to, to really target this particular demographic? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think nowadays, I think if you're talking about politics, I think, you know, I, I can't imagine any or if any parties would, would put stuff out without, without kind of testing it or sense checking it. Yeah. I, think, I think in the past that might might have happened. Um, but yeah, I think I think people are aware of how. I mean, the difficulty with these things because words have so much power. There's actually a real risk you get it wrong as well, and or you you know you think something sounds great and it just doesn't resonate, or actually it does the exact opposite of what you intended it to. So I think most parties uh, I would probably put money on actually kind of do focus groups and yeah. test things, and it's a kind of I know probably most companies as well are kind of with the resources to do it will do that as well. So. Because there's such a risk, I think, of of getting it wrong and getting the you know the phrase. But yeah, no words have huge power. I mean, one of the ones that go back to the Labour was, you know, talking about reducing unemployment. So they got to a point where Labour had a really strong record on kind of reducing unemployment, and they actually talked about getting people into work or you know employment was far more effective because unemployment was just figures that somebody could fiddle about with. Whereas if you're getting people into work, A, made it more personal yeah. and also kind of just resonated more. It meant that there's an individual actually benefiting from this. Um, so just little little language like that can be really, really important in terms of just kind of change, changing the tone and, you know, and, and kind of getting people to the kind of right place and where you want them to be. Well, that's, that's the next thing is tone then, tone of voice. That's a big one, yeah. right? And tone of voice, we talk about, I mean, when you're talking to somebody, you've got a tone of voice, yeah. but tone of voice doesn't just, isn't only to what someone's tone, you know, you do get people who have quite monotonic voices, you get other people whose voices sound completely different and things like that, but tone of voice is everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, it's hugely important and that kind of, your tone of voice kind of frames what you're saying. So it makes it either sound right or it makes it sound wrong, I think. So, again, it's hugely important. And particularly in politics, as I said, there's this kind of default to we're good, they're bad, we're, we're brilliant, you know. And you see that and even in, even in kind of where, where the parties are at now, you know. Labour could probably be criticised for saying, you know, SNP are rubbish, SNP have failed, you know, they're always kind of trying to push to that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's not the reality for a lot of people. So, again, if you get that kind of tone of voice right, you know, with Nicola Sturgeon stepping down fairly recently, again, that tone, if someone comes in saying, you know, oh, this is great for us, you know, type, type of thing, then it just, it, you know, it's not, not going to work. So you have to get that kind of the tone of voice right and have that kind of, I mean, for me, it always has to be authentic. And I think that's at the core of everything. There's got to be, it's got to be credible and there's got to be an authenticity to what you're saying. If it doesn't feel right, 
and there's not that kind of shared understanding then people will just discount your messages right away and you know it's got no credibility so well i mean this is it because i mean the tone of voice isn't just exclusive to political yeah. parties this is any business organization yeah. of any real size can have a tone of voice because it's basically if you how you, I mean, effectively it's how people read who you are what message you're trying yeah. to get across so for people who are maybe sitting there going, I don't think I have a tone of voice for my company or for how does somebody go about or how can you start to even work out how to create a tone of voice or how somebody can have a tone of voice in that situation? Yeah, I think it's it's, it's kind of creating. I mean, I, I should have said that with my own organisation, with my company, we kind of do a lot of kind of commercial work as well with kind of companies around kind of branding and, and, and kind of values and tone of voice and things like that with, with colleagues. Uh, obviously, do the research side, they're more mm -hmm. knowledgeable about that side than me. But yeah, I've seen in that, uh, I guess you have to kind of start with, well, what are you about? What's your purpose? What are, you kind of, what are your kind of values? And then how do you kind of create a kind of language and a messaging and communication that kind of reflects that. So again, it's, it's, it's getting that sense of, well, you know, are you, are you coming in as an organization that wants to be kind of hugely authoritative and credible, or are you coming in, you know, wanting to be kind of, kind of subversive or playful, or, you know, you think of people like innocent smoothie and people like that, or brew dog, you know, they, they've obviously got a kind of different approach that kind of is positioning them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it's not, we're part of the norm, it's we're something different or it's we're, you know, so for some organizations it will be, we're the kind of expert on this, so you have a kind of gravitas, so you, you know, you can't be too flippant, you can't be too casual, you have to have a kind of tone that fits with what your actual brand is and what you're kind of wanting to offer out there. So it's understanding what you're kind of wanting to offer and then what tone of voice is going to kind of help you get, get to that point. I mean, you're saying about understanding what you're wanting to offer, I suppose, as well. These focus groups help you understand the people that you're going to be communicating to. And I think, is that dangerous? Because people can go around and go, well, this is the value I like. This is the purpose that I like. So this is the message that I like. Yeah. And suddenly they're going, why is nobody nibbling on my adverts? Or why is nobody getting back to me on this? Because, I mean, that the fundamental thing that that person might have missed out is, I need to actually find out the people that I'm wanting to try and sell my product to or communicate to what they value yeah. so that I can then match it. But then does that create a debate with authenticity then? Yeah, I mean, you have to balance both, I think. And, and in politics is a great one for that because the, the criticism of focus groups is, well, these parties are all going out, listen to what people are saying and then just being populist and telling them what they kind of want to hear. And that's kind of not what it's about because if that's what it's about, you would go into a focus group and people would want to bring back hanging. You know, you're not going to bring back hanging. So, you, you, you know, it's about saying, look, this is what we're about. This is the core of, of what, what our kind of position is. How do we communicate that the best? But you have to have that kind of, whether you're a party, whether you're a, a, a company, you have to have that kind of core of what you're about that's authentic and evident. You can evidence, I think, because if you can't evidence again, it just, yeah. it, it just comes into that. And it's inauthentic. It doesn't have credibility. And then, you know, so you have to have that core and then it's about how you communicate that kind of core most effectively so it actually gets across to people, this is what, you know, what they're about this and this is what they stand for and, and that's why I'm either going to like them or move mm. towards them or not, I think, is, is the case. And, you know, it has has to be. I mean, going back to the, you know, the, the Scotland referendum, the, the independence referendum 2014, I think both sides kind of suffered from that slight, lack of credibility a bit you know so on the better together side again you ha as i said you ha your messages have to be balanced so there was too much kind of 
this is all going to go wrong. You know, that kind of, obviously that's where the kind of purchase was in their message, but there was no kind of, look, here's the positive things of the union. You flipped to the other side, you know, had a really strong positive, things can be better, things can be, but one of the things that came through in their search at that time was, you know, how do I know this will work, which was a kind of genuine concern for people. So people could be attracted by the proposition, but still a bit wary of, will this work? How, how am I going to know that's not going to go wrong? And I guess there's two ways you can reassure people. You can either embrace that and say, look, this might be tricky for a while, but we'll be in a better place, you know, once we get through that period. Or what I guess the yes I eventually did was just saying, it's all going to be great. Mm. I think I think that's an example where it maybe lacked a bit of credibility because people know it's not all going to be great. No. We've seen with Brexit how kind of difficult it is to unpick these things. So there is, you know, there is going to be a kind of disruption for a bit. And I think whether you choose to acknowledge that or just say it'll all be great, things will be all better almost immediately. And I think probably they lost people that didn't get them over the line because of kind of taking that approach, which is easy to say with hindsight, obviously. But yeah, but yeah it, has, it has to be kind of, yeah, there has to be a kind of credibility there that makes somebody think this is authentic. This person is kind of saying something that's true and credible. Therefore, I'll listen to it. Because if it's not, they just won't listen, you know. Well, you're talking about like hindsight being a wonderful thing. How important in this environment is even reflection? Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I mean, I think you have to kind of you have to kind of learn learn your lesson. I think of kind of why things don't work and why why things kind of went wrong or or where things kind of kind of fell short. And again, going back to politics, maybe politicians aren't the best at doing that. You know, I always used to think, particularly when an election, when you know the people who lost their seats. Kind of when you regrouped, they were kind of out of their room and their voice was kind of gone, you know. Really? So, so it's only the people who kind of won, yeah. which kind of create. And this is not just Labour; that's for any party. Kind of creates a kind of group think of, well, we're all still here. We won, you know. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a calamity, you know. I've not yeah. lost my seat because those people are gone and that. So, uh, the, yeah, you have to reflect and you have to kind of learn kind of what what worked, what didn't, and and kind of adapt it to because there's no point kind of repeating the same. Same mistakes. And I suppose on that reflection, if you've got the data from the focus groups, are you able to then kind of do that post-mortem where you go back and you go, this said it was, the, the focus group said this would work really, really well. Did it land as well as we thought it would? Then also this focus group said this and we didn't run with it because we decided to go with that message. Is Was that was that something that you do or is, once it's over, do you have to go, that's finished, start again? Yeah, there's a, li- there's a little bit of kind of start again, but I mean... It, if, if you're doing it properly, then you would kind of do post-election kind of surveys or, or even groups sometimes we did um, in terms of kind of reflecting on kind of what, what was it that kind of tipped people uh, or what, what made people kind of switch or, or kind of not turn out or whatever it happened to be. So, yeah, you can, you can do that or you can just kind of, you can kind of look uh, at, at kind of what, what data you had or what people were saying before and kind of, try to understand there well this is kind of where why we didn't kind of get over the line or why people were attracted attracted by this or attracted by that mm. um and, and and kind of try and understand that and again just think well what's the implications for that kind of going forward i mean i want to talk about about influence then because i mean we live in an age right now where we're being influenced almost all the time yeah. by marketing campaigns um we're being influenced by people on social media all these kind of things even podcasts uh, that people are putting out you know there's an there could be an influence on that how how hard is it to to create influence and what do you think needs to be done if you want to create a message that has influence on people 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably harder than it's ever been. And actually, the kind of when when I worked in politics, uh, at the kind of sharp end, I think it was much more straightforward because you know the channels that were there were much less. You know, the kind of where people got their information was kind of more kind of traditional and more kind of set, so you knew where you could go to reach people. You know, even in terms of advertising or newspapers or, you know, where people kind of found out about things. And that's kind of just completely fragmented, I think, which causes huge difficulty. And I think people are becoming more sophisticated and more kind of adept at kind of almost curating what they get. So, and, and, you know, there's positives of that because people don't have to be exposed to what they don't want to hear. But then it it makes it it, kind of channels people into kind of well this is what i think so there's a danger of kind of you know if you if you're on twitter and you don't want to hear about one side of the debate you can easily just silence that and then you're in this kind of echo chamber where you're only listening to people who are who kind of agree with you and that kind of just reinforces your views so you know if someone's got to that point shifting them apart a party or somebody try to shift their view is much much harder and it maybe shrinks the kind of undecideds who will kind of genuinely kind of flip flip back and forth so yeah it's it is much harder but then it's again it's about kind of finding the channels where you can meet those people and then again ultimately it's about getting that kind of message correct that is going to kind of work for those people and will will kind of again shift the dial on what they think or in whatever way you kind of want want to do it or you want to try attempt to do it is there is there a formula like did you guys have a sort of set set of questions that you knew if we can ask these questions in a certain order, we can break into what people are really thinking and then we can come back and sort of take that into our... our, our no, I mean, there, there's not a formula. And I think the nature of focus groups and qualitative research is it's kind of, it's not that kind of tick box and, you know, you ask, you ask six questions and then you get your kind of things. And the thing I used to always say was it's like, it's kind of complex as well. It's not, there's a danger of kind of thinking, well, people decide things in a very straightforward way. I mean, the classic, again, going back to Northern Ireland example is, you know, a hugely divided society that's been through quite a lot of trauma. Uh, so that makes people's views quite complex and people can hold kind of opposing thoughts at the same time. So people could sit and think, I don't want them in government. And mm-hmm. I don't want them deciding on my future. And I'd love to see them not being involved or out of government. But they can also think, I want us to move forward. I, I I like the fact there's peace. I want I want this to work, but still be very angry and very annoyed at things. Um, so people can hold those thoughts together. So there's a complexity there, and even in the kind of uh, other political kind of arenas, there, there's a complexity of where people can kind of, you know, the independence referendum. People can kind of see the risks and see the benefits. You know, there's a kind of danger that you get into, well, it's just one or the other and that's it, you know. So, and, or people can kind of feel positive about something but also kind of be very wary of it. So it's hugely complex. So it means there's no, there's no formula, unfortunately, for doing that. And actually the nature of qualitative research is it's talk, you're talking for an hour and a half in a focus group. So, you know, it's not a, let's add up the numbers on that and see where we are. It's it's kind of understanding what are the influences, why are people reacting the way they're reacting and trying to unpick that, which again is can be hugely complex sometimes. So how do you deal with that person then? If you have that that person that's totally torn, 
you know, you're going into a situation like Northern Ireland yeah. and you're saying exactly the way you're saying it. Like, I want us to move forward because that's the way we need to go, but I cannot allow myself to vote for that political party. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you start to get into that then? Again, I just, you, you have to kind of realise what the levers are and what the, so, I mean, it's all about, in that, in that situation, you're kind of dampening down that kind of frustration and anger and, and whatever it happens to be and kind of playing up the kind of positive, the kind of positive message. So, again, going back to that message, let's keep Northern Ireland forward, that's kind of playing into let's keep going, let's keep going in this direction. There's challenges, it's not great, there's things you're unhappy with, but the ultimate goal is kind of is kind of this, you know. There was lots of kind of stuff that was like, you know, let's not go back as well, you know, yeah. kind of to what we were in, which again frames it. And and framing framing kind of where you are and the journey you're on is always hugely important. So it's always like, this is what we've done, but with more to do type of thing is much better than having we done loads, you know. So it's kind of given a given a sense of that. So, so yeah, so it's kind of trying to get get people to onto the territory where they've got the most positivity of kind of moving and that means as i said dampening down the kind of messages that kind of frustrate or worry people and kind of playing up or just getting it to i mean people in politics talk about dividing lines so you kind of you get your dividing line that says well this is us and this is them and, and make that about something mm. that puts you in the best kind of kind of position so it's kind of just playing with that and and, and using language to kind of get people to kind of as close as where you want to be as possible but cer certainly not easy and there yeah i mean the bottom line is you can't get people to go where they don't want to go no so if the, there are certain instances you know if you get a, a landslide or a huge shift in opinion you know which we've seen in 97 for labor or post uh 2014 for the smp you know there's there's huge kind of movements that you just can't no amount of focus groups are playing around the language is ever gonna you know if there's a fundamental fault there then you kind of but it is it is about finding those people in the middle and trying i guess get them to the place that's most advantageous to, to your own kind of position so when it comes to these focus groups then are you asking a series of questions you said about there being an hour and a half are you kind of just openly is it creating yeah. open discussion is there exercises that you get people to go through is yeah, it have a look at this a bit, a bit of both i mean we tend to kind of use it tends to go from the kind of we tend to use a kind of funnel approach so you'll start off very general and you know partly to get people kind of relaxed and, and the ability to talk and then get down to the kind of specific. So a political one would tend to be go in, do the intros, and then it's kind of like, what's it like to live around here? And, you know, that's partly to get people relaxed, but also within that you pick up frustrations, you pick up issues, um, and then you kind of start to move into the political stuff. But, you know, and then you will have kind of exercises, whether that's kind of, you know, writing stuff about what's good about one or what's bad or, you know, you know, or you, you know, one we could sometimes do, you know, you say if someone comes in here undecided, you know, what are the kind of best reasons for the, if you were trying to persuade this, like I used to say to people, you're not going to get home until you've persuaded this person to vote Labour and then you would get all the kind of things. Okay. And then you could flip it and go, okay, you're not going to get home until you've uh, persuaded this person to vote Conservative or SP, And would these whatever. be people, so these might be people that are maybe non-associated they're, they're in the no well these would be imaginary people so there wasn't, uh, there wasn't no, there wasn't, no but what I mean is like, well, the yeah, person so you're asking are, yeah, are they're, they're maybe stuck in the middle yeah so, so they, you're they, asking a lay person to yeah, say right so now they, try and convince this yeah, person so why they would vote for yeah, Labour so they, right, would, okay. they would be undecided or they would be kind of weak Labour we did a lot of groups where kind of people who were kind of Labour at heart but kind of getting fed up with them 
Um, so in danger of either flipping or not voting was probably a lot, a lot of the time in that period. So yeah, so you, by, by asking that kind of question, you would understand what are the kind of strongest reasons to kind of persuade. Or, yeah. or sometimes you would, it would highlight there's no reasons or they really struggle to find a reason, you know, to, to persuade someone. And then obviously you're not in a great position. Um, and then it would, you could flip it and say, you know, what's the best reason to kind of, how would you stop them voting later? Mm. So you can kind of see what your weaknesses are and get sight of that. You've got a oh. daughter, sorry, you've got a daughter. <laughs> I could just picture you going like, right, I want you to persuade me what the best reasons for tidying your room are. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but the knowing communication is helpful is in that as well. <laughs> well, I mean, for, for people that are taking this away, you know, we want people to learn about what they can do. Now, you're, you're also doing this on a commercial front as well. Mm. So focus groups are traditionally in my mind you know most it's political you, you hear about focus groups quite yeah. often when you go into a commercial environment then what does that look like where are you going and who are you speaking to to get this information and data and then to feed it back to it's very similar i mean it's the same kind of principles and actually there's probably much more commercial focus groups are undertaken than political mm. ones they're they're what you hear about but no i mean companies will well they obviously do advertising they'll test that if they're trying to establish their kind of brand again, they can kind of do focus groups with customers, with staff, whatever it happens to be. So again, it's just it's it's almost just listening to people. It's a kind of it's a kind of model of kind of listening to people that kind of make sense. It's not just oh well, someone someone next door kind of said this, and that's what people mm. think. It's kind of doing that in a structured way that gives you an insight into kind of here's what this group of people think about us, about our campaign, about whatever it happens to be. Um, and I think that kind of just sharpens your message and kind of and companies will do that to kind of get their message across better again and you know if you get a commercial company they're obviously opening an even more kind of competitive space than a political party is because you know there's, there's sometimes hundreds of kind of competitors mm -hmm. out there so how do they kind of stand out or get a bit of differentiation or be distinctive and and again they can kind of yeah they, they will do that so again if you think of like a campaign like Iron Brew back in the day that was all that kind of subversive like kind of humor and mm. and all that type of stuff to get to get that kind of different tone of voice different feel to Iron Brew as opposed to your kind of big giants of of, of Coca-Cola and Pepsi and that was hugely effective yeah. kind of getting people to go well actually this is my choice this is something different and very Scottish and very kind of irreverent and and kind of kind of matches up with matches up with me better because there obviously is that kind of association but yeah that i mean they'll they'll be doing it they'll uh, most companies will be doing it and probably doing it at a far greater level than than political yeah. parties will ever do because they've, they've got more resources for one thing i mean for somebody that maybe doesn't have the resource then uh, i look at my background in health and safety training and quite often almost my uh, uh, you know accidentally a lot of the training courses i went into turned into focus groups yeah. and you'd hear people tell you yeah. what they feel the challenges are and yeah. it's sometimes easier to tell a stranger coming into place yeah. than to maybe tell your manager or line manager or yeah. anything like that from an organization that are maybe looking to find this stuff out this information out could they do focus groups internally with staff groups and find to find out what the general mood is and, and how to communicate a message better to to people with who are working for them yeah absolutely i mean you you any kind of uh kind of structure that kind of gives people a chance to feed back and listen i mean focus groups is kind of one way of doing it surveys is another you know sessions even to get you know kind of getting people together in, in a different way is can do it as well so anything where you can kind of listen i think the only thing i would say is 
it, it, it goes back to that kind of hearing the voice of ordinary people and also having having people kind of in the room who will influence what people are saying. So, you know, sometimes in an organisation, if you're asking people to kind of say what they think and, you know, their boss is sitting there yeah. or people that are kind of, they're responsible to are sitting there, that can kind of influence. So it's as much as possible trying to get, trying to get a, a kind of, set up where that kind of so either you have that kind of culture for honest feedback and people can kind of do that or create a safe space where people can are able to do that and so you actually get that kind of you know honest kind of feedback that is useful rather than uh, oh everybody i meet you know thinks thinks i'm great you yeah know, because yeah. nobody's going to tell you you know whatever to your face you know so it's, it's, it's getting that kind of getting that kind of a space where people but yeah i mean there's there's numerous ways where you can kind of get any chance to kind of listen and get feedback and and i know there's kind of apps these days where people can kind of feedback stuff within organizations and things kind of anonymously and stuff that kind of picks up on big issues and small issues within organizations so there are kind of there are kind of routes to do that yeah I mean, it's like what we we're saying earlier on it's great to read and hear all the great stuff about you <laughs> about yeah. you but actually understanding because that's where you need to learn isn't it and, yeah. and i think that's that's a big big thing so when it comes to when, when it comes to actually listening to people why do you think it's difficult to listen to people for a lot why do you think people find it difficult to listen to other people to try and push their own message yeah i mean it's, I guess everybody's coming from their own perspective and their own their own kind of world, you mm. know, and that that whole kind of you know, there's no reality. There's only perception. We've all got our own perception. I think of of things, and I think if it's something that's specific about you as well, there can be a kind of defensiveness around that. It's quite hard to hear, you know, kind of what what people. I mean, again, if you go back to being a politician, it's quite hard to hear yeah. that people think this of you or think that of you that's not great you know and nobody wants to hear that on on any sort of level so i think i think that that can be difficult but it's about creating those opportunities where you know whether it is in this kind of environment or on an individual level that there's that trust to be able to have that kind of open and honest and kind of authentic communication and that's whether you're kind of managing someone or whether you're trying to persuade or influence someone of something so so it's it's that you know you can't just kind of batten down someone and go well mm. this is what I think so this is what you're going to think. There's got to be a kind of again a shared understanding of where you are and that that's the same if you're on an individual one to one or group level in an organisation or you're trying to influence a group of voters. It's kind of getting on the same page mm. as them and then kind of using your your kind of influencing communication skills as effectively as you can. Changing perception is a big one, eh? You know, when you look at, I mean, you're talking about some of the things, you'll be, you, you're you're looking at potentially somebody who might be swung on a vote. Yeah. They'll have a perception of either side. Yeah. What what, what, what was the biggest challenge that you ever worked on when you are, when, is there anything that sticks to mind, a challenge that you've had in your career where you've said that was a real challenge to get that perception changed and get people on side of it? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think just when you lose perception, when the kind of perception gets kind of set in stone and, and there's times when, particularly with parties and with politicians, where it's kind of up for grabs and if someone comes in new, so for example, you know, new first minister at the moment, there's a, this is a kind of period when it's kind of up for grabs of what people think of him um, and there might be kind of things floating around that are good, there might be kind of things that are floating around that are bad. It's when you get to a point where that kind of settles down and is set in stone as I said, it can be quite hard to kind of reverse that mm -hmm. in a in a you know 
particularly in a kind of negative way. So if some if if people get to a point where they kind of have a view of a politician or a party, you know, it's quite hard. It's kind of set in stone. It's quite it's almost impossible at times to kind of reverse that. So for example, post post referendum, um, you know, there's a lot of people who just decided that Labour's not for me anymore, whoever for whatever reason in that referendum. You know, and will be very, very a long time before we win a lot of people, those people mm. back. Um, so there can be views that are kind of set in stone like that that are, you know, om- almost kind of impossible to kind of turn around or, or, or get. As I said, you can't, you know, you go back to 1997, nothing was ever going to save the Conservatives in that landslide. Mm. Blair was Prime Minister, you know. Uh, so it's difficult to kind of ch- change those perceptions. I mean, the time I was kind of working there was nothing that was kind of as set in stone as it is now, you know, there wasn't the referendum, there wasn't mm. Brexit, there there wasn't kind of these things going on. So it, it, it was a bit more fluid, which thankfully made life a, a little bit more, a little bit easier. But you're part of, like they say, the Scottish Parliament, when you first, you were working in the early mm. 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s and things like that, that your Scottish Parliament at the time was hugely controversial. Yeah, I mean, the first four years, I mean, there was... All sorts. There was the building, obviously, which was hugely overran and, and kind of cost and stuff. There was the kind of stuff like things like wage, MSPs, wages, medals. Mm-hmm. It was all very new. So, you know, that, that first election we went into in 2007, a lot of the work we had to do around was, again, people were just cynical and their default position was, you know, this has done nothing for me. It's achieved nothing. It's a huge waste of money. It's costing a lot of money. What changes it actually made? And I mean, that was a really interesting one, actually, because almost everything we did in that election was about kind of persuading people that it had mm. done something. And it was one of those ones, you know, you always have this thing where you kind of have a keep your message simple and clear, you know. So usually you would find like two or three kind of big achievements and go with them. But what we found quite quickly through our research and doing groups was those kind of big achievements. There was things like free, uh, free personal care, bus travel, nursery places were quite positive and we ended up going with posters on them but none of them were quite big enough to get when they weren't a minimum wage or mm. or whatever it happened to be so um so they, they weren't big enough to get that kind of perception moved so we ended up kind of through testing and, and kind of trial and error actually having an approach that just threw a lot of achievement at people so we had a campaign that was uh, called four years 40 real achievements uh that was basically you know had those big ones that we talked about but threw in loads of wee mini achievements, you know, like, you know, the the board for Gaelic was set up, you know, there was things like 100,000 toothbrushes, free toothbrushes <laughs> went into schools, like kind of really yeah, minor yeah. things. But actually what we found was if you bundled up all those 40, it meant people couldn't go, yeah, but, but, you know. Yeah, you've only done that. You've only, you know, so, so we would say, we would do the big ones and it'd be like, yeah, but I, that doesn't affect me or that, there's some reason to kind of unpick it. Whereas actually if you kind of threw 40 at them, then they couldn't unpick it because there was there was obviously undeniably good things that had happened yeah. in there, and that campaign was 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 really successful in that sense of kind of just starting to shift that perception of well actually, and also again we framed it with language that was very humble. You know, we've made a start. Let's continue it. I think the phrase we used was just the beginning. So again, this sense of it's a start. There's more to come, uh, which was which was quite effective. So again, yeah, it's just it's trying to kind of understand where people are at and meet them you know going in and in that instance and saying scottish parliament's great isn't it wonderful we've done loads we're brilliant it would have just been no go away i'm not going to listen to you so it's it's finding the route in actually 
is authentic and is credible that will help persuade people. I mean, awareness of people's thoughts and opinions is huge. So I suppose that's the biggest thing you're getting out of a focus group. Yeah, you're getting you're getting insight, and I said, an insight into ordinary people, insight into people who maybe don't watch the news, aren't really that interested in politics. You know, there was there was a quote that I kind of used to use a lot. That kind of what it was. I can't. It might have been in Dundee. We did a focus group. And this woman kind of, we'd been talking a bit about politics. She got a bit kind of, fairly youngish woman, got a bit exasperated and said, you know, I, I don't think about politics. I asked her something. She said, I don't think about politics. I'm too busy getting on with my life. And I kind of used this quote a lot because it was just a kind of reality check of people are kind of living their lives, yeah. going about their day. They've got other things to worry about than kind of what's going on in the Scottish Parliament or Westminster or whatever. So you need to kind of hear the voice of that of that type of person who is you know, absolutely who you need to be targeting, but, you know, isn't engaged, isn't reading the newspapers, isn't watching the news, you know, is, is kind of picking up information here and there. So it's how do you speak to someone like that in a way that it is understandable for them and kind of gets to what they're they're interested in. So, I mean, I spoke to David Martindale, the football manager, uh, Livingston Football Club, and he mm-hmm. talked a lot about, he used a lot on intuition. Mm-hmm. And he said that sometimes you can just pick up intuitively, right, I know this guy, I can speak to this person, yeah. and I know this person, I need to speak slightly different to that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, his career, he went through organised crime into prison and then into football, <laughs> so yeah. he's, he's, he's had a lot he's of different variations of people that he's had to intuitively mm-hmm. understand how he can and can't communicate with people mm. is that effectively what focus groups are trying to do on yeah, a bigger scale exactly and you know the electorate is everybody yeah <laughs> so you know it's absolutely everybody so it is that kind of you know uh is is the the, the the full end of the spectrum of you yeah. know someone who's engaged really interested uh really passionate about it and someone who actually just doesn't really care that much yeah. you oh. know so it's how you kind of find a way to speak to either both of them or actually just realize we need to speak to these people differently through different channels and different routes. And again, I think that's the kind of problem now, I think, is it kind of that because that's fragmented, that's less clear. Um, but it's kind of how you reach people. And also an element of understanding who is kind of a lost cause or who's you're not going to do that. So, you know, mm. you would do groups in an election, some elections and realise it wasn't people who were thinking of switching. It was actually you just need to shore up your kind of core. So as yeah. I said, we would do lots of groups with kind of people who were weak labour, you know, who you know, we're more likely to just not vote than actually vote for anybody else. But they are, those types of people are kind of crucial for winning the election. Yeah, so actually yeah. getting out and voting. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's. I mean, obviously, if you're a football manager, you can kind of understand your squad. Yeah, of course. If you're, you know, uh, the squad is much bigger if you're a political party as a whole electorate. So Absolutely. It's, so it's trying to understand that and kind of uh, put it into groups and think, right, well, who do we need to speak to here? And, and then how do we go about doing that? Brilliant. Right, well, we'll finish off then. What What would you say, putting you on the spot here as a communications professional, <laughs> what would you say three main key fundamentals when it comes to communicating? I think, I mean, I think the first one is you have to be authentic and you have to have kind of honesty in what, what you're saying. There's, mm-hmm. You can't go in thinking you can kind of soft soap people or or kind of dazzle people. I think you have to, the most effective messages for me are kind of, that kind of authenticity at their kind of core. And if you don't have that, you're really kind of up against it. Um, uh, within that, I think kind of tone, uh, that is obviously hugely critical. I think the other thing, so maybe not touched on a lot, is kind of simplicity is, is yeah. kind of key in keeping it. There's always, I think, a, a push to overcomplicate things or, or make things kind of more wordy than they are. 
And I think, you know, the, for me, the kind of strongest messages are kind of the ones that are, are kind of simple and clear and people can kind of really get it right away. Someone once said to me, you know, it's like it's like throwing tennis balls at people, you know, you throw one, they'll catch it. If you throw 10, they might catch none. So it's kind of, you know, keep it clear, keep it simple and keep it kind of that clarity that people can kind of really understand. And I think probably another one which I've not really touched on is you kind of just have to repeat it again and again. Um, you know, particularly in politics, there's this notion of well, if you say someone once they've got it and they can kind of move on and they understand it, uh, that's not the case. You know, it's only kind of once you repeat it and keep saying it and keep saying it and keep reinforcing it. Uh, you know, going back to that woman who who the quote, you know, it's only the tenth time a party says it that she will hear it. Yeah. So you know, for the first time, so got to keep keep repeating it. And, you know, I mean, the best thing was when you were in an election, particularly in doing groups every night almost, you would be, you know, there would be there would be things that you, you would then hear them coming up in the groups. So people would be kind of repeating the kind of phrases and it was only then you kind of knew it was actually starting to yeah, get it's through and back, starting yeah. to, that people are actually taking it on board and actually then saying it in, in a focus group. So, yeah, you have you have to kind of repeat it and, and just, re, you know, repeat it so that people yeah, understand it and have that kind of clarity of, this is what this is about. This is what this person is trying to say to me. Brilliant. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. It's been a thank you hugely insightful conversation. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Cheers. Thanks very much.